Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back. Yes, this is an abbreviated version of the traditional opening for this podcast, but we're trying new things because it's 2021, and now it feels like it's actually 2021 now. Feels like we kind of turned that corner where we were kind of had an extended 2020, like January was actually kind of part of 2020, and now February is actually the beginning of 2021. So if we're going to change this up, we're going to try some different stuff. So that is why this sounds a little different than what you're used to. But what I am not changing up is where I have been starting each episode since March of last year. And that is with the unemployment numbers, which um, there's a little bit of good news this week on that front. The week ending on January 30th, there was 779,000 initial unemployment claims filed, which did drop from the past couple of weeks, which that's good news. (laughs) We were pushing back up there towards a million for for a minute there. So getting back down to, I guess, is our new normal for right now until things change. Um, Obviously still incredibly high, obviously way higher than at any point in history of tracking such things, but a tiny, tiny fraction bit of good news on the jobs front. Um, In January, the U.S. economy added 49,000 jobs, which obviously is not enough to offset the losses from one week, let alone one month. But if you remember in December, the U.S. economy actually lost jobs for the first time since March of last year. So maybe things will get a little bit more on track. Like I said, we still have a long, 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 long way to go before we get anywhere close to where we were before the pandemic started. Um, Unemployment numbers have dropped from 6.7% to 6.3%. Take that with a grain of salt, though, because a lot of people at this point have fallen off the unemployment rolls. They've aged out of the of the programs and there isn't anything on the federal level right now aside from the 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 pandemic relief for those who are freelancers and people that are not traditionally covered by normal unemployment insurance because they're not formally employed by an employer like they're contract workers and freelancers and stuff like that so whether <laughs> whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is yeah I hesitate to say that that is a good thing because, like I said, I I follow this. I see the numbers every week and I tend to think that any drop in the unemployment rate is due to people aging out of the system. As far as COVID stimulus is concerned, um, still kind of up in the air, same place we were this time last week. Um, Still arguing about who is going to get what. Um, It does look like the pathway is kind of being cleared out to get this done sooner rather than later. Um, Notably, Joe Biden did come out in public and say that it looks like at this point, including the $15 minimum wage in any kind of COVID relief package is just going to be a no-go, which is as it should be. I've been saying this whole time, you should not include your personal pet projects in with any COVID stimulus packages. I said the same thing when Republicans tried to shove in a repeal of Section 230 into their particular plan, like this is not the time or the place to pursue that sort of stuff. If you want to do it, make a separate bill, handle it some other way, but that anything that's going to hold this up and is not really part of any kind of 
COVID stimulus relief should not be part of this bill, just on GP and also because it's it's creating an impediment to getting this done. So it looks like at this point that is going to be out. And it looks like at this point, like I said, there's there's still a lot of stuff up in the air. Um, it looks like there's going to be an additional $1,400 direct stimulus check, which would mean obviously $1,400 plus $600 gets you to $2,000. And people are screaming about that because I don't, I'm not entirely sure where people got the idea that when Joe Biden was saying it was going to be a $2,000 stimulus, that it's was going to be an additional $2,000. Some people have seemed to have gaslit themselves into believing that. I never saw where he said that. And my assumption always was, was that it was going to be $2,000 total. So I, I don't know where that exactly came from, but people are getting mad about that. And eh, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's going to change anything. So Maybe in the next week or two, we'll have a little more information on that. Um, obviously, there's some important stuff happening next week. Um, on Tuesday the 9th, we will officially be starting the new impeachment trial of the former president, Donald Trump, who it was rumored for a hot minute would be testifying in his own defense. Um, House Democrats had sent him a letter requesting him to come and give testimony. And so we all kind of thought like, okay, there's no way that he's not going to go give testimony. I mean, it's Donald Trump. He doesn't really have much in the way of a platform anymore. Obviously, there's going to be television cameras there. Obviously, everybody's going to be watching this. Of course, he's going to show up, right? But as of right now, he's shot that idea down. I say as of right now, because I don't know as if I entirely trust this man to not show up and testify in an impeachment trial because he's got nothing else to do right now. <laughs> so at this point, he is out. Um, no idea who is in. Not entirely sure what we're going to be seeing next week as far as witnesses or not witnesses or who's going to be showing up or how exactly this is all going to be going down. But it will start on Tuesday. <laughs> Again, another impeachment. And I mean, it's probably not going to pass the Senate if there has to be open balloting. And I bring that up because a very interesting thing happened this past week. Um, there were calls to remove Liz Cheney, who is third in command in the GOP hierarchy, over her vote for impeachment of Donald Trump. And so there was this big effort to hold this vote, to recall her, to get her out. And she stayed in and it was by a pretty healthy margin. And the, the rationale behind that is that those votes were not public votes. They were private votes. We do not know how any Republican voted one way or the other. And so in that circumstance, Republicans felt safe enough to vote to keep her in because obviously nobody's going to know how you voted. You're, so you can't really piss anybody off, right? Because nobody knows what you did. So that's kind of a, a damning indictment of where the GOP is right now that you cannot openly be critical of Trump or the whole MAGA brigade or whatever the hell we're calling them this week. But you can do it privately. And like, that's kind of fucked up. You know, that's that's 
not a good place for a party to be. And I've mentioned this so many times on this podcast and I've written about it and I'll probably write about it some more. But yeah, this is just not, I I don't see how the GOP gets themselves out of this without jettisoning Trump. Like you, I, I don't see a way where they get to get anywhere close to power again and still keep like the Trumpist elements. Because here's the thing, Trump is very popular within the Republican Party. Trump is very unpopular nationwide. So guys like Mitch McConnell, who do not like Trump, does not like Trump, I I still say Mitch McConnell would be perfectly happy impeaching Trump and just making it to where he cannot come and screw up anything anymore ever again. But they can't say it publicly because they're afraid to piss off their base. So the day is going to have to come where they're going to have to reckon with the fact that you can't have both A and B. You're going to have to pick one. And as of right now, it looks like they're picking going with the team MAGA crowd. And okay, um... <laughs> I am so old that I can remember a time where if a president came into office and at the time he came into office, your your party had the executive branch and the legislative branch. And then by the time that guy left office, you did not have the executive branch or the legislative branch anymore. That person at the very least kind of gets shoved into a dark corner, if not straight up becomes persona non grata within the party. But apparently they're still going to embrace Trump because reasons. I mean, (laughs) I mean, really, when Trump was elected, Republicans held the White House, they had the House and they had the Senate. And now they have none of it. They in, in four years, they lost all institutional power that they had because of Trump. So I don't I don't get it. Like, I I don't I'm not understanding this. But hey, it's. That's their party. <laughs> they can they can destroy it if they want to. And hey, if anybody takes a look around the GOP and is like, ah, I'm not super comfortable with this anymore. Um, you can come sit next to us. I'm just saying, just saying, might be a good time to start doing some outreach and some recruiting. But we shall see what happens with impeachment next week. Um, not entirely sure what the time frame is. I'm sure it's probably going to bleed into the week after, especially if we start having witnesses and stuff. So probably going to be chatting about that for a while. Um, now for some good news. I actually have some good news this week. Although this past week was not as fun as the week before. We have no meme investing. I've got no stonks. In fact, that story just kind of became sad because once... Once it was kind of throttled back as to how many shares you could buy, and it still is that way, that kind of put a damper on a lot of stuff. <laughs> and so, yeah, you can't really do like the crazy trading on AMC and GameStop and stuff like that right now. So it kind of, eh, that sucks. That was fun, though. That was fun. But good news. Um, Biden announced this week that the U.S. will be halting support to Saudi Arabia in their efforts to continue the war in Yemen. Um, 
kind of underreported just because there was just so much other shit going on at the time. But when Biden came into office, if you'll remember, one of the last things Trump did was he signed an arms deal or he at least worked out an arms deal with Saudi Arabia and Biden nixed that. And so now we have this official statement coming out of the Biden White House that the U.S. will no longer be providing support to Saudi Arabia for their campaign in Yemen. Hey, you know what? It's not bringing troops home. It's not that. It's not ending the war in Afghanistan. And there's some kind of sadness surrounding that because it looks like that's not going to be happening anytime soon. And in fact, we may be ramping up in those areas. It's not entirely sure. Like, we're only two weeks into the Biden presidency. So it's kind of like a touch and go situation to see exactly what's going to go down. But at the very least, this is progress that Trump didn't make, that Obama didn't make. Hey, I, I will give the man credit where credit's due. This is something that is long overdue. It needs to be made clear to Saudi Arabia that we are not supporting this anymore. This is ridiculous. We are not we're not selling you arms anymore. We're not giving you money for this anymore. The it's it's done. You're cut off. So congratulations to Joe Biden for doing the right thing here. Like they there's going to be a lot of wrong things that Joe Biden does, but just like with Trump, you got to kind of give him credit when he does the right thing. And this is most definitely the right thing and extremely overdue. So kudos to him. Some more good news. Um, I don't know if you guys remember me telling you about this. It was either December or maybe even late November. I was telling you about the Australian company Illum. Um, They are the ones that got the FDA emergency use authorization for true at-home rapid COVID testing. They're the ones that you can actually buy and just do it completely in-home. It's not like you swab and then you send it off. It's all handled in your house. The Biden administration announced that they are partnering with Illum. Um, The deal is for $231.8 million. Part of that money will go towards Illum building a manufacturing facility in the United States. Like I said, right now, they are based in Australia. Their manufacturing plants are in Australia. So obviously getting the test to America is not impossible, but logistics, I mean, Australia is very far away. So, and it's kind of expensive to get stuff from point A to point B. So they will be building a U.S. manufacturing facility that once it is up and running, they are estimating that that facility will be putting out 19 million tests per month. Before we get there, though, they will be sending 8.5 million tests to the United States. So finally, 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 guys, we may have the thing that I have been asking for ever since the COVID pandemic started, which is at-home testing that you can just buy. And that's the idea behind this. You don't need a prescription. It's going to be a retail product. You just go to Walmart or Target or CVS, or I'm sure Amazon will sell it once we have enough stock for that. And that you just buy it. And I mean, preferably you purchase it beforehand and just have it at the house. That way, if you are exposed to somebody who has COVID or you start feeling not so great, you can just test yourself at your damn house, wait 15 minutes, and then figure out if you have COVID or not. And just in case you missed when I talked about it the first time, basically how this works is this. It's a $30 kit and it looks like for right now it is a single use kit. So yeah, that is pricey. But looking at the the stuff that comes in the box, like you have 
the swab and it's like a it's a mid nasal swab it's not the one that you got like touch your brain with you can kind of just put it in your nose like you would like a q-tip or something and then you have the testing solution and then you have this little bluetooth connected testing device that you put the the swab and then you put the testing fluid and then you wait 15 minutes and it connects to your smartphone so once it's done doing the test it sends the results to your phone and then there's an Illum app where if you test negative, like, all right, you're good to go. If you test positive, you can go through that app and access a doctor portal where you can get hooked up with a doctor and then you can figure out what your next steps need to be as far as quarantining, as far as possibly getting any kind of treatment, anything like that. So it is a completely at-home rapid test, which is going to become available in the United States. Thank you, Jesus. But the point I wanted to bring up about the single use is that to me, looking at it, looking at that little Bluetooth connected device, I don't see why that couldn't be reused. I mean, it doesn't look particularly disposable. So I'm wondering in the future if it's going to be a situation where you buy that initial kit and then possibly you can buy new swabs, new testing fluid and stuff like that for multiple tests. I mean, obviously, like if you test positive, you might want to throw that one away because it's got COVID on it. But if you test negative... Like, I don't see why you couldn't just reuse that little testing brick. I mean, that's, I, I've not gotten my hands on one yet. Uh, they are supposed to be available sometime here in the near future. So at least finally, finally, finally at home, rapid testing is going to happen. And that is a big part of the equation too. Like I know we focus a lot on vaccines and we do have some good news on that this week. Um, It looks like, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is on track to be approved in the next couple of weeks. That is the one that is the more traditional one-shot, not mRNA. It's more of a traditional vaccine. And it's cheaper. It's easier to transport. So that hopefully will be coming online in the, in the next month or so, which means we would have three available vaccines. The AstraZeneca vaccine, um, there's a lot of controversy about that, about why the FDA has not approved it yet, especially since it has already been approved for use in the UK and in the EU. Um, it seems like AstraZeneca has not submitted their paperwork to the FDA yet, so there's a bit of a hang-up there. And there's, just, there's there's been a bit of online controversy about that because there are a lot of people that are making what I think is a valid point that, all right, if two other medical bodies have already approved this particular vaccine and it's being administered, then why can we not use that in the United States as proof that this vaccine is good and safe and we can open it up? Because we have actual dosage, dosages of AstraZeneca vaccine already here in the United States. They have their manufacturing facility here. They're already ready to go, but it doesn't have FDA approval. So yeah, that one's kind of up in the air. I don't know what the problem is with AstraZeneca about why they haven't submitted their paperwork yet. Um, it seems like there was some difficulty in their phase one part. So I don't, I don't know. That one's really weird. But if we get the Johnson & Johnson one approved, then that will be three that are approved for use in the United States. Um, vaccine rollout is still meh. It, it's definitely dependent on what state you're in. So hopefully we can get that kind of going and on track here in the near future so we can start getting more people vaccinated so we can start getting back to normal please sometime this year but 
The second part of that, and the point I was making before I went on my little rant about vaccines, is that testing is the other half of this. Because first off, as it stands right now, obviously vaccine availability is very limited and it's based on not just the amount available, but based on age, based on comorbidities, based on your profession. You know, it's not that everybody who wants one can just go now and get one. Although it does seem like we're going to be opening that up a bit more here in the near future. I'm seeing a lot of deals that are being struck with various like drugstores and like grocery stores that have prescription departments and stuff like that, where we're going to start seeing a little bit more availability. So fingers crossed on that. But it's not going to be available to everybody for at least a little while longer. And even then, there's people who aren't going to want to get the vaccine. And like I've said before, that's your choice. That's your decision. I don't think anybody should shame anybody for making that decision one way or the other. I don't think people who choose to get the vaccine should be looked down on. I don't think people who choose to not get the vaccine should be looked down on. But if you choose to not get the vaccine, then you need to be testing. You know, if you I mean, that just stands to reason. Like, if that's the route you want to take, okay, fine. But you need to be testing. And so that's why this needs to be made as easy as possible for as many people as possible to test themselves, preferably at home. Please stay your germy ass at home. If you think you got COVID, just go home, do your 15 minute test, and then go from there. Like, this is what we need in order to start getting back to any kind of normal because. The argument gets made that a lot of what is happening right now is due to lockdowns and stuff like that. And yes, true. Absolutely. But I can tell you as somebody who lives in Georgia and we've not been on lockdown for months, shit is not back to normal. It is still a ghost town in certain places. And that's not going to change until people feel comfortable enough to go back to doing the things that they used to do. Like, that's just... That That is what it is. Like, you can't force people to go out in public and do things that they used to do if they're not comfortable doing it. Like, that's that's part of bodily autonomy, too. Like, if you're not comfortable going to the mall or you're not comfortable going to the movie theater or to the bar or to the restaurant or whatever, like, I can't make you. I mean, it just, that's you making your personal decisions for yourself and you probably have reasons that make sense to you. And that's fine. Like, that's cool. But the only way normal happens is if people feel comfortable going back to living life normally. And so that's why we need vaccines. This is why we need at-home testing. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) I, I feel like I've been telling everybody this for almost a year now. It's wild to think it's almost been a year. Like, this all started in March of 2020. Like, in... I remember March of 2020 because it started out great. Like it was fine. Everything was fine. By the end of March 2020, everything was like a four alarm fire. You could not go to New York City. Like everyone was like, that place is a charnel house. Everybody is dying. There are people, dead people everywhere. And and for a while there, that was true. I mean, New York City did get pretty messed up. So... Hopefully this March will be a little better than last one and this April and May and June and July and August and all of the rest of the other months of the year. Oh my God. I'm just, I'm ready. I'm ready to get back to normal. Like I've been ready and 
like I said, I mean, I can't fault other people for not being there yet. I mean, everybody has their own life situations and has their own circumstances. And so, yeah, we just, we got to get the vaccines, get decent at-home testing. And so we can get back to living normal life. All right. So to move on from that to something that I saw this past week that I thought was actually pretty, pretty interesting. Um, The Atlantic did like a demographic survey of everybody so far that has been arrested for participating in the Capitol riot. And there are some competing narratives going on in the larger media space slash government space, especially when you start looking at people calling for, oh, we need a new domestic terrorism bill because uh, everybody that was there was a domestic terrorist and they're all affiliated with these various organizations. And so we have to do something about that. And then on the other side, you have people who are trying to kind of dismiss the rioters as saying that, oh, there's just a bunch of old people. It's boomers. It's it's people who are just angry and disaffected and unemployed and uh, blah, 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 blah. So the demographics so far are not supporting either one of those two narratives. Um, as far as people that have been arrested, the average age is 40. Only 6% of them are unemployed. 60% of them actually have white collar jobs. So they're not poor, which I mean, makes sense. It costs money to go travel to a rally. Like you, poor people aren't traveling across the country, people. So you have that. They're younger, they're wealthier, they are employed. And more tellingly, the vast majority of the people who have been arrested do not have any known prior affiliation with any kind of right-wing extremist slash alt-right slash whatever groups. Like they don't, they're not affiliated with the Proud Boys or the Three Percenters or Oath Keepers or stuff like that. They're just people who were somehow radicalized with no, no apparent kind of connections other than being Trump supporters. So that those facts don't fit the narratives. Like, obviously, you could pass all the domestic terrorism bills you want. Most of these people that participated in the riot would not have been caught up in any of that because they wouldn't have pinged on anything because prior to that, they didn't have any kind of affiliation with any organizations or groups that would have caused them to be on anybody's radar. So... Ponder that one for a second and also ponder the fact that this is not a bunch of old people being like mad at clouds and stuff. These are young people. These are middle-aged people. These are not, yeah, (laughs) these are people that aren't going away anytime soon. They're not dying off anytime soon. Um, They have money. They have jobs. They have good jobs. Like these are people that, you know, have something to lose. And they still did this. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of kind of weird to think about when you when you start looking at the facts of who actually participated in this versus the competing narratives of who participated in this and what has to be done. Like looking at these demographics, there's I mean, obviously, you could scrape social media, you scrape Facebook, Parler, Twitter, all of that. You you see what's being posted. 
But as far as doing anything more than that, especially on like a government level, I mean, none of these people, it wouldn't have touched any of these people. So what do you do about that if you are of the mindset that you do anything? Like, I don't, I don't know what sort of institutional laws or functions or anything could have been put in place before the Capitol riot that would have stopped that or would have caught these people before they went and stormed the Capitol building. I, it's, it's kind of in a way comforting and in a way kind of frightening because you really don't know what exactly is going on out there. I mean, you don't know what people are doing in their homes. You don't know what people are doing just like anywhere. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. It's just something to keep in mind whenever people bring up like, oh, the government needs to do something like there's nothing they could have done. There's nothing short of extremely draconian surveillance that would have stopped this. I mean, at least on like the organizational level of getting people to D.C. Like, obviously, in D.C., there was plenty of things they could have done. They could have had the National Guard there. They could have had more Capitol Police there. This wasn't, like, a spontaneous event. It was absolutely planned and advertised. Like, there's plenty of things that could have been done on the ground to prevent the physical storming of the Capitol building. But as far as doing anything, like, prior to that and kind of pinging people and kind of the FBI or whoever having an eye on these people? No, because there would have been nothing to look at. So, (laughs) yeah, this riot is going to be used to justify all kinds of shitty, shitty, shitty behavior. It already is. Like, you already have people who are wanting to gut Section 230. You already had people wanting the federal government to have, like, a backdoor for end-to-end encrypted services like Telegram or Signal. Like, these things already existed. They're ramping up quickly. This is something to keep an eye on. It's not just about social media. They're going after the encrypted apps, too. That, you keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on Earn It Act. Keep an eye on what people are proposing as far as doing anything as far as Section 230. Yeah, this this is going to be used to justify some shit that people wanted to do before, but now you've got a reason to do it. Because now you got these rioters and we have to know what they're talking about all the time. Because obviously anybody using Signal is a capital rioter. <laughs> I mean, never mind those of us who have been using it for years and like, my DMs are probably more scandalous than anything I've ever said on Signal, so... <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah, this is going to be bad. Going to be bad. Definitely going to be something that we're going to have to fight against pretty strenuously. So keep an eye on them. For like the 15 minutes a day that Congress does something, they're trying to do some bad shit. Keep an eye on them. But speaking of Congress, and I guess since we can't wrap up discussing this last week without discussing Marjorie Taylor Greene, um... Let me start by saying, I thought everybody knew this lady was a nutbag. Did y'all not know? Because I, I thought everybody knew. Um, if you do not know who Marjorie Taylor Greene is, a Georgia congresswoman who just got elected and she ran openly, openly as a QAnon supporter, 
as an open stop the steal person. She genuinely believes that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. She's a QAnon supporter. All of this was known. Like, she ran on this platform. <laughs> so, um, apparently people didn't realize all of this. Um, something I do want to clarify, because I hear people make this point a lot, and I don't know if it's because people don't really know the backstory, but let me tell you. Um, Green actually did win a Republican primary. Because there's this idea that she's going to be like a one-termer. No, she's not. <laughs> no. She's not going to be a one-termer any more than AOC was ever going to be a one-termer. So she actually did win a Republican primary and a primary runoff. Because if you will remember from our discussion of the Georgia Senate races in Georgia, it's not enough simply to win a primary. You have to get over 50% of the vote. So if you do not reach that threshold, then you do a runoff. So she actually won the Republican primary and the Republican runoff. So yeah, she was chosen by these people. They had other options and they chose Taylor Green. In the general election, she ran unopposed because the Democrat dropped out. Um, the Democrat dropped out in September. So it wasn't like there was time for the Democrats to run anybody else. I mean, at that point, the ballots are already printed. Like, there's nothing you can do about that. So technically, she ran unopposed in the general. Not that it would have mattered because her district is heavily Republican. Heavily Republican. A Democrat has never gotten more than 30% of the vote in her district. So, yeah, she ain't going nowhere anytime soon. This is not a contested district. This is a red, red, red district. Not my district. <laughs> so, yeah, she's not going anywhere anytime soon. And as far as people were like, well, why didn't anybody do oppo research or anything? It's like, well, we thought everybody knew she was a nutter. So, I mean, we didn't really have to. <laughs> She was openly crazy. So over the past week, people have been surfacing uh, various comments she's made on social media, various kind of like B and C level media appearances that she's made, um, things that she has liked on social media. And these are things like going on some news outlet, or maybe it was just somebody's YouTube channel. I'm not entirely sure, but saying that there was no evidence that a plane ever hit the Pentagon on 9-11, which, yes, there absolutely is evidence that a plane hit the Pentagon on 9-11, and that school shootings are fake, like false flag. Um, the most popular one was when she said that the wildfires in California were caused by Jewish bankers who have a space laser and they use the space laser to control the weather, I suppose. <laughs> yes, yes, of, of course. Like, why? Of course the QAnon lady is a 9-11 truther. Of course the QAnon lady thinks Jews control the weather. Of course the QAnon lady thinks school shootings are fake. Why is anybody surprised by any of this? I don't know. But it all kind of came to the surface over this past week. And people got mad saying that, well, she needs to either be like kicked out of the house or censured or needs to have her committee assignment stripped, which is ultimately what ended up happening. The House did vote to strip her of her committee assignments. She was on the Education and Labor Committee and on what was the other one? She was on, I, I think, the Banking Committee. <laughs> 
<laughs> because Jews control that too, you know. <laughs> but yeah, so at this point, she doesn't have any committee seats and seems to be perfectly happy with that because, of course, this is what this this is what people in Congress do now. Nobody does any work in Congress. Justin Amash keeps telling you all that. I don't know why y'all don't listen. Nobody does anything in Congress. It's all about basically trolling each other and trying to become famous on social media. That's apparently what Congress does now. I would like to get paid $175,000 a year to do that. Like, maybe I'll run for Congress. <laughs> At least I have policy positions. <laughs> Which is more than I can say for Taylor Green or pretty much any Republican who's been elected in the past, I don't know, three election cycles. Oh, it's all about owning the libs now. But so at this point, yeah, I mean, she's not going to get kicked out of the House. She's not going to not get elected. Like, don't kid yourselves. But the interesting thing, well, not interesting, actually entirely expected because, of course, um, the rumors are already coming out that for the 2022 midterms, basically Democrats are going to do with Marjorie Taylor Greene what Republicans did with AOC as far as like elevating her and making her the face of the party and being like, oh, my God, look at these Republicans. They are fucking nutters, <laughs> which I mean, you won't condemn it. So, <laughs> But I mean, obviously the ads write themselves and you can do it in the same vein that Republicans did when they attacked AOC and Nancy Pelosi. It's going to be the same attacks against Taylor Greene and Kevin McCarthy, which is that, look, the look, the, the leadership is impotent against these people. Look, they just run the party now. Look, look, look. Like it's, it's, it's going to be the same thing. It's the same thing that Republicans said about Nancy Pelosi when it came to AOC and the squad. Like, oh, look, she won't even stand up to them. They're going to run the whole party. They run roughshod over leadership. It's like, well, this is why you got to be careful when you craft your narratives to make sure that in the future, that narrative cannot be used against you. But Republicans did not do that. And so obviously... And I mean, and they're, they're doing this whole stupid anti-squad thing where it's, it's Taylor Green and Bobert. I'm probably pronouncing her name wrong. And that Hawthorne dude and it's just like, this is so fucking retarded. Like, and, and oh, by the way, we're not allowed to say retarded anymore. <laughs> I learned that today. <laughs> Taylor Lorenz is going to rat me out on Twitter. <laughs> Oh, that's a whole controversy, but that's that's kind of beside the point. Um, but yeah, why does basically the GOP exists now to solely react to whatever progressives do? Like it's a purely reactionary party. Even Hawthorne said that he does not have a policy team. He just has a communications team. Well, cool. Thanks for telling us all that you guys don't give a fuck about policy anymore. Not that we didn't already know that, but thanks for the heads up. <laughs> and there's people that still want to save this party. I don't, I don't understand it. They don't want to be saved. This is who they want to be. So go be it. And obviously Democrats are going to use all of this against them the same way Republicans use the squad against Democrats. Whether it's true or not, whether this is the future of the GOP any more so than the squad is the future of the Democratic Party, who knows? But it's going to make for catchy ads. Oh, this is just such a disaster. Anywho, 
Um, I think that about wraps up this past week. Um, obviously, next week is going to be an absolute dumpster fire. God only knows what's going to happen with this impeachment trial, but we will discuss it all at the end of next week. So, as per usual, if you did make it this far, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and also on my Substack page, genmonroe.substack.com. Take care and until next time.